this episode of Comedy Rewind, why did Kevin Smith's cult classic Mallrats bomb so badly? How ahead of its time was this movie to feature Stan Lee so prominently? Could you even make a movie about moles in 2020? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on guys? Welcome to Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio Technica as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s. I'm your host, John O'Peck, and joining me, munching away on some chocolate-covered pretzels, we have Bitstorm's own Trevor Scott and special guest Joel Rennie from My Speak Giant. How are you doing, boys? Woo! Very well. Yeah. <laughs> doing good. Back-to-back appearances for you, Trevor. It's the first <laughs> in Comedy Rewind history. <laughs> I will say Trevor was a late uh, addition to this, so he actually has like literally just finished watching Mallrats, which we are talking about today. But Joel, you uh, filled out the the form that I put out there for people to be part of this show, and I think Mallrats was the only response that you registered. <laughs> so you must have really wanted to talk about this one. It's true. I think uh, I remember seeing the list and being like, just anything Kevin Smith. Like it's always it means so much to me in like in dumb ways and important ways. So when I, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah Morats is very specifically significant. Mm. Well, let's talk about that right off the bat. So what is it about Morats for you that, that makes you want to get deep into this one? What, is, what does Kevin Smith mean to you? I think it's, uh, when, I, when I was growing up, so I actually, I kind of, while working, you know, studying at university, I had a job at a video store. And uh, my friend and I were the managers because the owner wanted to drive uh, coaches cross state in Australia. And so he inherited this video store and he was just like, I don't know how to run this thing. My friend was walking by and he's like, hey, do you want to be a manager? And then he was like, can my friend also be a manager? And then we just both became managers of a video store. So, um, <laughs> and so we used to marathon, yeah, everything to do with Kevin Smith. And then it was, no, no, there wouldn't be when it first started, but that's when it really hit in that my life is like on this weird parallel to him in certain ways. I feel like he's much more successful. Like he's like a very, you know, but I mean, like, I feel like we've crossed paths in the stories that he tells uh, with that. Sure. Yeah. 90s nostalgia and everything that it hits so close to home. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's a relatability thing then is what you're getting at. I think a lot of people feel that at least maybe not specifically with Kevin Smith, but definitely with the characters that he puts on paper, whether they're people working as clerks, whether they're people working in fast food, uh, you know, working or just hanging out at the mall as a mall rat. Like, yeah, it's it's people from his world as the, at that point in his life, I suppose. And I think we've all been there. You know, we're pretty far removed, especially you, Trevor, from being a teenage kid hanging out at the mall. Just a little bit. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, you're probably as big a Kevin Smith fan as anyone. You, you and Ben over on Bitstorm and had you on Clerks, and now back to talk about this. So what what does Mallrats mean to you? Well, at first, Mallrats was very hard to actually get in my part of the part of the world. Mm. I remember being able to get Clerks very easily after I watched it on, on cable the first time, and Chasing Amy was incredibly easy to get as well, because I think the local video store had two or three copies. But Mallrats was nowhere to be found, and it took me about <laughs> a year to actually track down a copy at another video store that I'd never gone into, and it's almost the first title that I saw there. So as soon as I saw it there, I grabbed it, um, signed up for a membership and took it home for, for a week and the rest is history. After having seen, I guess, Clerks and Chasing Amy, what was your impression 
of more rats because it's a very different movie to those films very different um i suppose i like the the more comedic nature of it i i think it was a little bit more broader in in its mm. comedic stance and therefore it was well worth the wait and i reading into it later on to find out that it wasn't as well received by audiences i couldn't quite believe that because i found it to be almost my favorite out of the three at the time <laughs> yeah the, the story of more rats is an interesting one because uh, you know everything to do with kevin smith by now has its own like folklore attached to it but this was the the big follow-up to clerks it was the studio movie it was his first chance to work with a budget even though it was more money than he probably knew what to do with uh, i believe six million dollars was the budget and it made only two million dollars back which is a pretty colossal failure for your first attempt at doing a, a studio film so yeah it is um something that's definitely become a success in kind of the cult classic kind of way i'm sure it's made its money back in dvd and vhs sales over the years but where do you think it sits amongst the fans of of the the universe the Esk universe um i'd say it sits pretty high up there um it's certainly no jersey girl or cop out um <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, um, I, it's definitely definitely up there. The, the first three films and Clerks two and even uh, Jane, the two, you know, Jane Silent Bob films and Dogma are pretty much all held in pretty high esteem. So yeah, I, I think it's it's up there in his probably top five, top six films with most fans. Mm. I, I feel the same. I think yeah, it sits up there like literally the same list that you just made. Like sitting alongside Clerks, Clerks Two, Dogma, and I love the Jane, like Jane Silent Bob Strike Back and the reboot. Uh, I don't actually know where they sit as much as where I want want them to sit, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And also, I should have said at the beginning as well, uh, I was definitely a mall rat. So like, I had like, <laughs> I, I had like top scores in Virtual Cop Two across three different walls, and I kind of had, yeah. I, it was, I was <laughs> spent so much time. I totally missed that at the beginning of this podcast. I should have, yeah, pretty important. That's great. Yeah, I think it's an interesting movie. Like, my experience with this was, uh, like a lot of the Kevin Smith movies, just, like, educating myself and catching up on this, like, after the fact. So, it was probably, like, 2006 or seven that I ended up seeing this. And I, I remember liking it. I didn't think that it was up to the scratch of, like, dogma and chasing amy and clerks too and i think it's a very kind of disjointed movie to watch because it was a style that was i don't know like it, it's hard to kind of put your finger on it there's there's parts of it that are consistent throughout all the kevin smith movies which would be i guess the dialogue and then there's tonal things where sometimes it's really serious and then sometimes it's really goofy and for me it doesn't completely work and there's like especially like <laughs> I accidentally watched the extended cut last night, which we're going to talk about. <laughs> and that was an experience in itself because I definitely enjoyed it a lot less than the first time I watched the movie. <laughs> and there's whole sections of it that I'm like, why is this in here? And then it wasn't until like today that I realized it was like an extra half an hour of footage that wasn't in that original version. So... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What's is the, it's the consensus, Trevor, that the extended cut is bad because I just feel like it, as I said, disjointed, but the extended cut even more so. 
The the extended cut was released as a tenth anniversary um, DVD extra, basically. Uh, so it wasn't really meant to replace the original. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was as a here's a gift to the fans. Um, so if you're not a massive fan of the film, <laughs> you probably shouldn't be watching the extended edition. <laughs> it's yeah. it's certainly not part of canon. Um, you know oh, the but- whole governor governor being you know, almost assassinated and and all that sort of stuff. It yeah, just that musket scene. <laughs> it's a, such a weird way to open the movie because it's like forty minutes before they get to the mall. Yeah, uh, so that's why it was actually removed from the from the official release, like the theatrical release, mm. uh, because test audiences didn't like it. But he thought, well, I've got all this footage. I might as well show it to people and um, people enjoy it, but they don't enjoy it as much as as the theatrical release. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna say off the top like I didn't think it was a great rewatch, and I'm gonna re- like pad that down a little bit and say it's because it was the extended cut. So I'm not gonna flat out <laughs> say that it was bad. You know, there was a, a whole point of me watching this where I was just like, this doesn't hold up. But now I feel like I have to kind of backpedal a little because <laughs> we we didn't watch the same movie. Like it, it really was significantly different but you know the things that i appreciated and we'll get to as we go through the categories is how much ahead of its time this movie was with uh the pop culture references and like taking nerd culture and putting it on the big screen in a way that even clerks didn't really do like clerks had some star wars conversations but star wars is a huge thing like star wars is like one of the biggest movies ever so even though you know it's nerdy quote unquote it's nowhere near on the level of, you know, including Stan Lee in your movie to the point that they did to the, the comic book references, you know, talking about Weapon X and Wolverine and these things that now, because nerd culture and superhero movies are mainstream, it just seems like another thing. But I'm sure at the time it was like a huge deal to people that were part of like comic book communities and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I don't know how old you were when you saw this movie, but was that something that you latched onto at all? Well, let's see. It got released in, you know, 95, 96. Yeah. Um, so I probably saw it around 98, 99. I think uh, it was just before Dogma came out that I saw it. Uh, so mm. I was 18 um, at the time. And so, yeah, it really rung true for for my sort of teenage years. It felt felt very much... You know this this sort of film had never come out before. It had, mm. um, you know, I remember reading a lot of comics as as an as a teenager. So therefore, it, I connected with it in in that sort of way. Sure, and then I guess like from the stories that I've heard in doing some research, the test audience, or at least I think they played it at Comic Con or something like that early, and it went like nuts, and everyone loved it, and they were comparing it to like Animal House's first screening and predicting that it was going to make a hundred million hundred million dollars <laughs> but then you know it, it really didn't have that resonance outside of that nerd community at the time so why do you guys think it was such a failure as far as getting picked up by the mainstream audience that's a good question <laughs> and uh good thing there are two guests on this podcast today i'll hand that answer over no. i um <laughs> it's uh i think that you know when when you look at kind of like the history of the of of kevin smith i can't really put my put like say so much that 
the reasons why, but why, but all, but more so, it's very fitting that Kevin Smith's first film would fail so so much. I know that sounds really weird, but it's like when you look at him as a person and the the struggles he's had between the different films that he's made and how self aware he is of the fact that like he he's hit a certain he hit a certain point in his life where all he can really do is reboot experiences he had as a person because when he became kind of famous enough he stopped being a person and he started just being kevin smith who makes films about his life before he became like wealthy and big so uh that's a really roundabout way to say i don't know but (laughs) uh Uh, you must have thought about this over the years oh yeah yeah um i mean really he came into the second film pretty much a nobody um even though Clerks had uh, gone really gangbusters in, in like um, the film festival circles, it didn't do massive business on, at the cinema. So even though it came out on DVD and all that sort of stuff, and it was sort of an introverted release when you think about it, it it did really well on DVD. But that's because people could take it home and then share it around to other people. So then when they tried to try to make this big budget sort of film. Not many people went and saw it because he still wasn't a household name. By the time you get round to Dogma, he was a household name, and that that movie went pretty pretty damn well. So I think it it comes back down to the fact that because he wasn't a household name, he didn't really have any massive um, actors in this. You didn't really have the draw cards. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, really, all you had was uh, Shannon Doherty, and she was the highest sort of. Um, actress that was that was actually in this film compared to uh you know ben affleck wasn't big at this time jason lee had never never acted before jeremy london pretty much nobody claire (laughs) falani you now know but you know she's still not she was still not massive at the time yeah i think that's pretty much it is that they probably spent more money on this than they should have because as Kevin Smith even said, like if they made this for a million dollars or for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, that it would have been a big hit at make at the you know a taking of two mil. So the fact that they poured so much extra into it that probably didn't need to be there, you know, if Shannon Doherty wasn't in it and they replaced her with some other actress that people hadn't heard of, I think it would have been just as good, probably. Quite possibly. Yeah, and yeah. this was also the first like. I've been racking my brain about this. This is the first time that Jay and Silent Bob uh, appeared as characters, right? No, it, they, they, no, they were in Clerks. Clerks. They were, they in, were Clerks. in Clerks. Don't worry, forget. Yeah. I was literally like, this This makes sense. <laughs> no, they were totally in Clerks. Don't worry. Okay, retract I mean, that. Uh, that's, it's a decent point that you bring up because they were in Clerks, but they were very much like vignettes to the side, like interstitials kind of. Yeah. Um, whereas I think in this, this is the first time that they're who they are now. Like, they haven't really changed since this movie. It was when they became kind of rounded-out characters, would you say, Trevor? Yeah, definitely. Um, they definitely played a bigger part in the in the film, um, more important part, and felt rounded out as, as characters because they actually had, you know, you already kind of knew about them and therefore they felt like they were, they belonged in, in um, each of the scenes that they they were in plus i felt they they stole the movie yeah yeah <laughs> yeah without their little kind of i guess they are vignettes like with, with their b plot or their c plot to the film 
I think that it's really it's it's just J- Jason Lee ranting without him. <laughs> like that's yeah. the only humor that you're getting without James Silent Bob is, is Jason Lee's Randall esque um, monologues, which is still really entertaining. And Jason Lee's fantastic. Like yeah. as his first film as a like a skate a skater basically coming in and he's the better actor than Ben Affleck in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but he also had a much bigger role written for him uh, compared to Ben Affleck yeah. who was a side character who was supposed to just be the bad guy um, had you put Ben Affleck in that same position it may have turned out different yeah that's possible uh, I love the uh, the Suzanne and Jay and Silent Bob well that's a different story like at the end of the film as they're walking off into the yeah. sunset and just the fact that that's like on his first ever major film he's just like I'm going to make a film about me and my friend uh, and, and just <laughs> Here it is. Like, he is like the foreshadowing, like six years or whatever it is to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. It's a fair time later. Yeah, but the funny thing about <laughs> that is that story that they actually talk about was originally supposed to be, and it was actually talked about in the comic book Chasing Dogma. And it was, it actually included, like, um, how Jane Silent Bob got from Chasing Amy over to Dogma, and it included a monkey and all this sort of stuff. And then later on, Kevin Smith reworked that into into um, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, so he'd already written a comic book about how to get what? how to use that again. That's yeah. fantastic! You are the the resident expert. We need to just yeah, I love chat. Kevin Smith and everything about him. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. So um, let's see how far the expertise stretches. Uh, what do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score is on uh, More Rats? Fifty five percent. Oh, look, I'm. I was gonna Google it. I didn't get there fast enough. Uh, so <laughs> that's cheating. <laughs> I'm gonna guess like thirty percent only because it's not how I feel, but I just get this. Mm. You know, given the 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 money made and everything. Yeah, I mean, if I was gonna guess, I would have guessed closer to Joel's, but it was actually fifty six percent, which is possibly the one of the best guesses we've had in the history of the show. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to be I, wrong. I, I, wanna, I, <laughs> I didn't think fresh, but I also didn't think super rotten. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's so so close to fresh. I, I wonder how many of those reviews are like retroactive. But anyway, uh, Roger Ebert gave the movie one and a half stars out of four. And this is a great quote: before, before Mall Rats was released, I chaired a panel that Smith participated in. And he cheerfully said he'd be happy to do whatever the studios wanted if they'd pay for his films. At the time, I thought he was joking. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, we do know that they, the studios, had an influence in this movie by trying to tone down some of the crudeness that we saw in Clerks. I don't know if that would have made it more successful. It's hard to really say. But it it, it is clear that this was the product of Kevin Smith figuring out how to work within the boundaries of a studio. Um, not only the budget, but like the constraints. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Yeah. So what are you guys... I mean, you're not going to guess it, but the number one song when the movie released... Uh, I'm just going to tell you because you'll never get it. <laughs> the Billboard charts had uh, Fantasy by Mariah Carey. Oh, God. Uh, the month, the, the the number one song before that was Gangster's Paradise by Coolio. Wow. <laughs> Dangerous so this, Minds, this is, uh, wow. <laughs> this is October 1995. And then it wasn't until August of 1996 that the movie released 
in Australia almost a year later and it was um, Celine Dion with Because You Loved Me hitting number one on the Aria charts. <laughs> what a time God. to be alive. What a time. Yeah, absolutely. So we've covered a lot of these actors in other um, What Have You Done For Me Lately categories before, particularly like obviously Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. Jane Silent Bob Reboot is the big one that they've done lately. I still haven't had a chance to see it. I know Trevor has, and two thumbs up, one thumb up. What do you, what do you? Reckon? Two thumbs up. Yes, two, two absolutely up. loved it. Have you, have you had a chance to see it, Joel? Yep, I, I have as well. Also, two thumbs up. I watched it a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, I can't believe I waited so long to watch this. Mm. I almost okay. Side sidetrack moment. Uh, I got an email whenever it was years ago. I can't even remember being like, "Hey, would you like to come?" You know, we're allowing people to come and be extras in this new Jane Silent Bob uh, reboot. And I was like, I don't have any money and it's in America in like four weeks time. <laughs> and I just cannot make this thing happen. And I, it was, yeah. So when I, that's why I didn't watch the film until a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, I just can't, I can't bring myself to watch the fact that I could have maybe been an extra in a scene in this. But that's it, hilarious. Yeah, it was very explicit. It was like, you may or may not be in the final film. But it's more, we're uh, inviting people to dress up as Kevin Smith slash Silent uh, Bob. Yeah, so it's dress up as Silent Bob or Kevin Smith, and then they'll be picking from the people there. So I was like, did, it's, not a sh- it's not a sure thing, but yeah. Did you get that email as well, Trevor? Um, I did, and obviously <laughs> decided not to go. <laughs> yeah. If I had the money and if I didn't have a family, then maybe. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I was I'm guessing there's some kind of like newsletter that you guys are a part of. I don't even remember how I got it. But yeah, the, I, yeah, yeah. It's probably one of the Smodcast like subscriptions or sure. something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, aside from from that, we've got Ben Affleck with The Way Back, which came out this year. I think that's one of those movies that skipped a cinematic release due to coronavirus, you know, mm-hmm. effects and everything. I've heard it's quite good. Yet to check it out. Hopefully it comes to Netflix. Um, but later this year, we have a movie that he wrote and starred in called The Last Duel. That's coming out and he's playing King Charles VI, directed by Ridley Scott. So that will be one to keep an eye on, I think. Yeah, definitely. Jason Lee, again, mostly just voice acting. Uh, he's done like roles in the Chipmunks movies. But um, I think Scientology's got its grips on him and... That's probably why we're not seeing <laughs> the kinds of roles that uh, it looked like he was going to be known for after doing these Kevin Smith movies and My Name Is Earl. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. really, uh, he got sort of turned off uh, acting after My Name Is Earl just because of some of the some of the re- reactions to it. And um, Really? I thought yeah, that was quite good. It was quite well received, but then there were people like giving him crap online and all this sort of stuff. And I don't think he liked the, the whole way that um, some of the fans were reacting and wanted to focus more on the family and and the religious as- aspect of, of his Scientology. Sure. Good on him. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Is he in uh, Reboot? Yes, he is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, at least he's got that going for him. Yeah. Um, Shannon Doherty had a, a 90210 comeback, so that would have been what she was known for in the 90s, but they did like a new season of it last year. Apart from that, she's essentially been known for her TV roles. She hasn't really had a big Hollywood career. And 
you know, there's a lot of other people in this movie, but no one's really done anything significant enough for me to probably talk about in this segment. I will give Ethan Suplee uh, a shout out for losing like 200 kilos though, because he's looking fantastic and he's super jacked at the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was also in American History X, which is one of the best yeah. sort of um, drama films that I've that I've seen and. You know, it sort of right, goes to prove some, how how amazing yeah. he is as as an actor. So he is fantastic. Um, he's had a great career. Like he's been in some. He's been. He was in Remember the Titans. You know, he was in. Obviously, we we talked about My Name Is Earl with Jason Lee and popping up here and there on like Entourage and stuff like that. So he's one of those guys that everyone knows. The Butterfly Effect. I love that movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's, he's, he's a really good. He's like a character actor, I guess. But it's great that he's just being consistent like as consistent as anyone in this movie really yeah i did not realize that's him as you just said that i just looked it up i'm like wow he is (laughs) that's fantastic yeah yeah he looks great yeah (laughs) unrecognizable really like he's he's kind of yo-yoed where like more rats was kind of like his baseline and then remember the titans he was like way bigger and now he's like tiny yeah. Well, he's, he's he's jacked, so he's not tiny. But <laughs> anyway, what is the most '90s moment of Mallrats? We'll start with you, Joel. Okay, I picked a I picked a lot of moments. Um, but That's all right. I it's and even looking at it right now, for some reason, the looking for a hidden picture of like the oh yeah, it's a sailboat. Like the fact that mm-hmm. that just exists for like no reason. But also just those those uh, puzzles from the '90s, like that, hit home to me in such a ridiculous way that they'd have a display in a mall, being like, "Check this out, a 3D like mystery puzzle." But um, but outside of that, I'd say it'd be Gil, like the you know the the character Gil, which was Brian um, Halloran, like Dante from mm-hmm. Clerks. Is that how you say his last name? Halloran. Gil Hicks. Hicks. Yeah, was, Gilix, yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, his cousin, yeah, yeah, his hair and his answers and just everything <laughs> about him was so nineties, fantastic. Yeah, on the topic of the magic eye, which is what I knew it as, like yeah. those illusions. Yep, that was something where like I could never do it as a kid, <laughs> and it frustrated the crap out of me. And then, like as an adult, I finally learned how to do it. And I think my mum and dad had one of the coffee table magic eye books and I found it and I just went through the whole thing. I was like, yes, I can do it. <laughs> it's like, it was like Neo with the Matrix or something where like suddenly I had like unlocked this part of my brain that I didn't know existed. But yeah, that, that's a very 90s or early 2000s kind of thing. Yeah, like just yeah. having a display in a mall to be like, check it out. Isn't this cool? <laughs> it's like not even like, it's, oh, it's fantastic. What I think is really quite funny about the the way that they went about it in Mallrats is, is that you could actually do the magic eye puzzle that they had there, and it wasn't a sailboat. It was actually just a whole heap of random 3D objects oh, in the man. scene. I nearly I nearly um, paused it and did it, but I was like, nah, it's just going to be a sailboat. <laughs> but no, they do that like close up. There's shot actually of it, yeah. there is a YouTube video where someone uh, puts it into Photoshop and and moves it across and does does like some weird photoshop magic and shows for those people who can't do it exactly oh. what what the um what the symbols are and it's like there's a whole heap of circles there's a whole heap of like stars and pluses and boxes that's about it <laughs> oh the other the last one i just remember is what was the fashionable male 
Like the fact that there's a store called the Fashionable Mail and just the oversized suits, like just the the fittings of the suits. It was so 90s. Like when you look at how brands like kind of represent themselves these days with like very abstract names or like, you know, this is our name for our brand. And it's it's definitely not Fashionable Mail. Like although it's very on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, how would you put that um, compared to Popular Girl, which was the um, the other store that was sort of shown throughout the um, throughout the movie, and that was the female version yeah, of the fashionable male. <laughs> Popular Girl. There has to be some kind of in joke. Did yeah. you have um, any other nineties moments, Trevor? Um, I think the soundtrack is extremely nineties. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like it comes right from the middle of the of the nineteen nineties, and then. One little scene, um, jumping off the back of the magic eye, there's a scene where Willem Black um, sees Renee, or Shannon Doherty, and then says, Brenda, which is, of course, Shannon Doherty's character from 90210. Uh. She hits she hits him, and it's like, it's the perfect 90s moment, because 90210, for me, is very 90s. Yeah, I didn't realise that's what it was. Yeah, me too. In reading into it... Um, wow. Kevin Smith actually whispered in Ethan Suffley's ear just before the take, saying, just call her Brenda, <laughs> like, and just see what happens. And she just smacks him on the arm and just walks off. <laughs> I think it's great. great. That uh, is really nice. Now that I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, when I was watching that, I was like, oh, what? That, all right. Like, you know, when you move on, like, you have this moment of being like, all right, uh, that went over my head and I don't want to admit it, but... um. That's really good to know. So it's, it, that's one of my favorite little moments. And I just remember it coming up and going, oh, this is the bit that I remember <laughs> not understanding. And then finally understanding many years later. <laughs> mm. <laughs> There's a few things for me that I want to mention. Like anytime a video game comes up in a movie, I'm always like looking closely to see what it is. And you can tell me if this is only in the extended cut, but he's playing a Sega Saturn and it's NHL all-star hockey. Yes. He is still playing that in the in the yeah. theatrical okay. version. Uh, so you don't that see cool. that it's a Sega Saturn, though. <laughs> ah, so you definitely it, like the controller was definitely a Sega. And then when I saw the game, it was like the graphics were too good for it to be yeah. like the Genesis or or Mega Drive. So I looked up the game, and it was NHL All Star Hockey, which we know yeah. Kevin Smith's the big hockey guy, so that makes sense. Yeah, I think they wanted to get um, like the actual NHL game. I- believe there was also the nhl game out, out at the time but they couldn't get the license so they went with the next best thing which was the all-star right. hockey probably the most modern console at that point anyway yeah the saturn uh the yeah we mentioned the magic eye there's a lot of videotapes that we're seeing in this movie <laughs> but the the thing that struck me as really 90s was the moment when brody finds out that stan lee is at his mall and he didn't know about it and that just strikes me as something that could never happen now. Like there'll be a huge build-up. <laughs> Everyone that you know would be talking about this. You'd see it on social media. You'd see it, maybe even like I don't know, like on the news, anything like that. But for a person that's that big a fan of Stanley to not know about this just struck me as like, yeah, that could only really happen prior to to the two thousands, I guess. Yeah, and I guess just the fact that Stanley is is a part of this movie as well like <laughs> we'll get to that in a bit we'll get to that in a bit because the most iconic scene is the next question and i think 
the scene between him and Brody having that conversation is probably up there in the top two for me. What do you guys think? Um, yeah, hundred percent. Yep, it's probably top one for me. It's the part that I always look forward to. Mm. Yeah. What do you think makes it so iconic? I, I think you can really see the love in uh, Brody's eyes at that at that point. He sees Stan Lee and and just can't believe that he's talking to like his idol, and it's just mm. got that that real feeling between between the two characters and then to to know that you know it's stan lee um he wasn't very well known at this stage like nowadays mm. you go oh yeah marvel stan lee all this sort of stuff he does all the cameos but this is like one of the first times that he'd actually done um a movie a movie role and put himself um right out there and before that i think there was only like a spider-man cartoon where he did like the uh voiceover every now and again uh, I'm, I'm with you like it's it's this like kind of beautiful almost mistake where it's like kevin smith's first film he has a bunch of money money to blow and then stanley who isn't well known like kind of just being like you know what i'll be in a film like you know a couple of years later he would it, you know he would, would have been in a very different place to saying yes to be in a random film where he talks about you know comic book character genitalia and stuff and then you've got <laughs> and like and like knowing that this was a film that kind of made that like friendship with Kevin Smith and Stanley, like kind of blossom from this just weird moment where he's like, "Would you like to be in this film?" Because I'm a, I'm a fan of you, and then he's like, "Sure," because I don't have much going on. And then you've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they've got all everything that Kevin Smith has done. So I love the subtext to it as well, but the scene as well is is amazing. But um, it's just knowing what kind of followed on from him saying yes to being in this film. Yeah, it it, it goes from being like. A kind of quirky kind of scene to being like huge because Stan Lee's like one of the godfathers of of nerd culture really and I had this in our next question what holds up the best like s- casting Stan Lee in this movie holds up so well because of what he went on to become in the yep. cinematic universe like he's been in like he's probably like the highest grossing box office you know build actor because he's been in every marvel movie (laughs) which probably combines to a total of like six billion dollars or something so there's that definitely um i thought the game show scene is probably the other one that i had there just because it goes for a a bit longer than the stan lee one but that to me is probably like the comedic peak of the movie yeah i also i feel like the uh when we're talking about other scenes the chocolate covered pretzel scene was definitely and the, the the description of a stink palm and like just everything that came from that moment was very iconic to me as a kid being like about 12 or 13 when this movie came out that was like this mm. this great amazing strategy that i just you know my friends and i had found out it was like oh my god this is ridiculous but but yeah that the whole so game you definitely shows. tried that ah <laughs> uh, no comment let's say i don't remember so no, no. i'm gonna go with no all right we'll move on to what holds up the best and i mentioned stanley but i want to say like the casting in general for this movie holds up really well because we've talked about how it was a bunch of nobodies at the time basically apart from shannon doherty being the the kind of star of the movie but when you look through that list and it's all people that we know and love at this point even michael rooker as, as kind of this guy who, you know, you might know him from The Walking Dead, you might know him from Guardians of the Galaxy, but pretty much like there's a there's like a the top 10 build people 
in the movie have all had pretty long careers, especially Ben Affleck being one of the biggest movie stars that we have. Yep. And uh, Jason Lee becoming someone that, from this being his first movie, is someone that's still working in the industry now. Like, that's really awesome to me. And I think if you look at the people that they considered for this movie, the list is amazing, including if you include people that were either considered or auditioned for it and were considered not right. I've got a few of the names here. Jennifer Love Hewitt, Parker Posey, Steve Zahn, Alyssa Milano, Heather Graham, Reese Witherspoon, Mike Myers, Chris Farley, Jenny McCarthy, Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Wahlberg, Adam Sandler, Brecken Meyer, and Seth Green for a variety of roles. But that is just like mind-blowing how many of those people... <laughs> Are we going to talk about um, who Brecken Meyer and Seth Green auditioned for? Yeah, like they were they were the, the Jason Muse audition. They were supposed to be the... the- the Jay character, and they really didn't want Jay Muse to play it so much that when they hired Jay Muse, they also hired Seth Green and had him on set ready to step in if Jay Muse f***ed up. No way! (laughs) Oh my god. So Uh, Two days in, and they they told Seth Green to go home. So Mm. it it was only the first two days, but Seth Green was standing on the sidelines, ready at the studio executive's weren't happy with how Jason Muse was going. Oh my god. Is, yeah, right. Was that like Kevin Smith wanting him to be in the film and then the studio execs being like, yeah, we don't want um, to? I, I mean, wow. Jason yeah. had already originated the role. Yeah. Uh, fans of the film would be a, a little bit confused, although they did replace another role in the film, which we will talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ethan Supley's role was, uh, his character was also in Clerks. Willem Black was in Clerks, played, um, if you remember Clerks, the character Snowball, Mm. that was played by Scott Mosier. That is also Willem Black, who's who's looking at the the magic eye picture. So there's two Willem Blacks throughout the, (laughs) throughout the, um, throughout the two movies. And they're played by two different characters. <laughs> There's a little bit of discrepancy about the Seth Green story, I think. Like, the research that I saw just said that he was ready to fly in at any moment to replace Muse. But maybe yeah. people have said over the years that he was on set. Yeah. I don't know. I uh, know. Anyway. I, I, I read on set a, a, a while ago. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I didn't I didn't have much time, <laughs> didn't yeah, have much time okay. to actually prepare for tomorrow. <laughs> that's all right. I guess my point is like it's easy when you look at these movies and the trivia to say like oh this person was considered and it's usually like a bunch of famous people but when the list is this long I think it speaks a lot to um, they made these choices maybe it was just because they didn't have the budget to pay for some of these guys but a lot of them weren't big stars in 1995 like Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't a huge star in 1995 Adam Sandler had only maybe done one film at that point Seth Green and Brecken Meyer had maybe done one film so the people they ended up going with despite not having uh you know a filmography to their name people like Jason Lee and Ben Affleck being very young in his career they picked people that were very talented and we've gone on to see that with how successful they've been since then. So that's what I think has aged really well. What did you guys have for that category? Oh, uh, what holds up the best? I was going to yes. add to that. Uh, I, I love, I feel like the, this whole like kind of the slice of life anime vibe of like the nostalgia of the nineties, like 
they captured the 90s so well in a film that was made in the 90s that you know like i feel like as weird as that sounds they they really caught a lot of that nostalgia of that era so as in they didn't kind of Mm. it didn't get very vague it got very specific and just even the conversation about uh buying cookies and if that's in the food court or if that is not technically within the food court it's i don't know there's so many (laughs) so many silly moments where you're like but it just feels like these dis- these discussions that ultimately did happen when you hung around at a mall for far too long. You like started to actually ask these questions and have really bad answers for them. But then um, I also feel like J- <laughs> uh, Jane Silent Bob, I feel like, held up so well in that like knowing kind of Jason Muse's like history with drug abuse and everything that uh, was going on in different films um, and throughout his career, at least for the first couple of films. But like just seeing all these moments where you're like, I'm that just I swear that wasn't scripted like just moments where he gets tapped on the shoulder and he spins around and holds up his fist to like get ready to punch back or like when <laughs> you know, when they're like hanging out at the, at the front of a candy store and he just mid-sentence reaches in and takes a piece of candy and puts it in his pocket and you're like that was just too real to, to have been a scripted moment <laughs> like it's him just seeing a thing and then taking it I swear but um yeah so I'd say Jane and Bob held up really well mm. I was a little bit worried that they wouldn't. Yeah, I, I guess even just casting Jason Mewes and like gambling on him because mm. in, in Clerks, it was just Kevin Smith's friends. But putting him in a, a $6 million movie is really gambling on Jason Mewes being able to deliver. And, you know, he's been good enough at it that he's still acting and he's done movies that aren't Jason Mewes as well. So I guess we can say he's legitimized himself as an actor at this mm. point. What do you oh, think, yeah. Trev? So, yeah, 100%, Jay Muse, um, I, I think actually, yeah, Jay Muse actually holds up the best in, in this film. Like, um, his character um, development and his acting acting development from Clerks to, to this are night and day, basically. Mm. Um, you you can watch Mallrats and then you can watch Jay and Sullen Bob reboot and they feel like the same character. Whereas you watch Clerks 1 and Mallrats and they feel like a different character, even though yeah. this is set the day before Clerks. Yeah. <laughs> so, this is set the day before um, Clerks? This yeah, is so, the best so the, podcast the girl ever. That, I'm learning so much. The, the, the girl that dies at the start right? of the film... Yeah. yeah. Um, the girl that dies at the start of the film is the funeral that they go oh. to the next day. <laughs> um. Oh my god! You his mind. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's awesome. So, so yeah, he, and and um, they they talk about Rick Darris in this, and Rick Darris turns up in in the previous film. Like, there's a lot of characters that actually uh, happen between between the mm. um, the three different films, really. The and, um, and cousins the first and three. sisters of different characters played by the yeah. same actors. <laughs> yeah, there's lots yeah. of that. Even like going, going into like chasing Amy and everything too. Yeah. Other yeah. things that hold up the best, I think, are definitely um, Brody's conversations about uh, superheroes. So mm. his conversation with TS about um, Superman and Lois not being able to have kids and all this sort of stuff, um, you know, that'll blow a load like a shotgun through Lois's back is just... Um, you can imagine people in the 90s having those sort of conversations and they really really hold up well because they're the, they're the first sort of conversations yet later on down the track 
um, like in the in the most recent CW series of Supergirl and that sort of stuff. Superman and Lois have have actually had kids, but the way they had it is they had to actually travel to a planet with a red sun and all this sort of stuff, thinking about how Lois was going to have these kids. Mm. So, yeah, I find that that sort of conversation actually holds up well within the um within the film. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think you're right because a lot of the comics seem to be a lot more grounded now and addressing those types of like human like humanizing issues in the world of of comics where prior to that you wouldn't have thought twice maybe about what happens in between the big action sequences in in these comic stories and um yeah i I think that's what uh kevin smith is is also known for is, is is having those kinds of conversations and that and that's why like so many of the characters in this movie feel like they're randall and dante talking like if you just read the text off the page it would be quite similar it'd be hard to tell some of those characters apart there's also like in seinfeld a reference to superman where they're talking about like um do you think superman has a super sense of humor because all of his other senses are heightened so i feel like that's another one of those conversations around the same era probably as well so i mean kevin smith wasn't the only one doing it but he certainly took it to a, a new level, especially with that Stanley scene. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so, what holds up the worst? I got a couple of things, but I, I might let Joel go first. Oh, okay. Um, I feel like there the the humor, which I you know would be said of of anything kind of in the nineties, but the the humor about a few things like kind of like Silent Bob being an accidental peeping Tom, but it was kind of like there were these moments that. <laughs> Uh, I feel like they were, they had a nineties kind of vibe to them, which then also brings on the, a lot of questions around where today, like we, a lot of humor is kind of, you kind of lean away from humor that in any way relates to like gender in any skewing in any direction. Cause you're just kind of like, it's just no longer a, a part of the humor that we as a society have. That sounds weird. I'm trying to say this well, yeah, but <laughs> but there, there were definitely a lot of jokes where it's I was not appropriate, yeah, yeah, where I was like, oh, uh, this is definitely made in the '90s, like, but um, yeah, I think so. I think though that kind of, but it's also just shows the the age of the film, like it's it's how uh, you know just different things change culturally. Where you're like, that would have been, I can see how in the '90s that was hilarious. But right now, it still makes me you know, kind of sweat being like, Ugh, it's okay because this was made in the 90s, but also a little bit worrying. Uh, and then I think that, that was the thing that stood out to me the most. I think that everything that didn't hold up uh, only added to my enjoyment of it outside of that. So like anything that made it kind of a bad 90s film, I then enjoyed because it's, it was part and parcel mm. of a bad 90s film, which then meant that it, it held up. Because it still made me laugh, as opposed to <laughs> to kind of groan, I guess. So I'm I'm sorry to say, yeah. there was a, I, I enjoyed it. I either enjoyed it for what it was, or I enjoyed it ironically. But but that mixture of the two, it, it held up for me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get I get that. There's definitely some stuff that's not politically correct that you mm. simply couldn't do. Yeah. Um. There's obviously multiple uses of retard as yeah. a, a term. 
that mm-hmm. get thrown around. Yep. You just can't do it now, um, nor should you, I think. And th- it's very much a, a product of its time because that was just what we used to say. Um, and then you've got, as you touched on, the yeah, like the, the whole peeping Tom thing. There is like some gratuitous like nudity, like when um, Joey Lauren Adams is getting dressed. Yeah. There's like the boob shot before she puts her shot on for like a split second. And it's really like, why is that there? Like it doesn't need to be there. It doesn't add anything. Yeah. Maybe it makes it 1% funnier, I guess, maybe. But still, it, it feels like they're just trying to tick the box for the nerds that want to see some boobs. Like that's a that's like a very eighties thing yep. to do. And I think like they did set out to make a smarter version of Porky's, so it ticks that box. <laughs> mm. But it, by by including it, I feel like it's not smarter. That's more just Porky's to me. What did you think, Trev? Um, yeah, I was I was definitely going to be mentioning the the gratuitous. Um, breast shots that they really didn't need. Um, I think the topless um, fortune teller, <laughs> the topless fortune <laughs> teller. Three nipples. It it's funny because you know when she when she goes into a typical New Jer- New Jersey accent after dropping the um the stereotypical sort of um, accent that she had on as a fortune teller. She sort of like goes into almost that Fran Drescher sort of mm. nasally sound and. That actually feels good, but then when she takes the the top off and has the three nipples, it's sort of like, was this really needed for the scene? Like, I know it makes it funny, but it just doesn't. It doesn't feel like it holds up as well now. Like, you would never see a topless fortune teller in any sort of like uh, comedy nowadays. I don't think you would. It, it, <laughs> there's humor in the scene because of how uncomfortable it makes Brody, but it's yep. also like. It, it probably takes more off the table than what it adds to the table. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing that I wanted to say, I'm sorry if you have more, Trevor, but I'll let no, you get no, no. to it. <laughs> and I, I don't know if you have to tell me if this is an extended cut thing or not, but the whole subplot with uh, Ben Affleck's character, Shannon, and the underage 15-year-old who he's apparently had this rendezvous with multiple is it multiple times? Maybe it's just, just once, the once. But just the once. But her filming it, her parents knowing about it, the 10-year age gap. Like, he's eventually arrested and imprisoned for it. But it still feels unusual and a bit off that it's, it's there. used. <laughs> yeah. that it's, 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 played, it's, it's, it's played for laughs. I think we take that a bit more seriously now. Yep. Um, the whole statutory rape thing. And... Just the whole um, promiscuity of a 15-year-old in itself is a little unsettling to me, at least. I know that there's TV shows um, that delve into the, you know, wild lives of teenagers and stuff. But for a movie that's pretty light, for the most part, it's, you know, maybe it's progressive. I I have problems with it personally. (laughs) Yeah, I I think... You're right. I wasn't really thinking of of it as a 15 year old because, of course, you don't. You, you just sort of yeah. see it in in the film um, as what her age was at the time, which was definitely over the age of 18. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I totally get that it it is one of the more troubling 
sort of scenes, but it also, it goes to, like, the Shannon Hamilton character is just really not a nice guy. And... Yeah, he's the villain, and it, it makes him more villainous, so it yeah. has a purpose, but it's not really given a reference in, the, in like, about how bizarre and potentially wrong it is. Yep. And, 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 like, I guess, like... There's also the whole part of her lying about her age to him. She's, in well, some ways, I, she plays a part in that. I think you'll find that she probably um, didn't even mention age and he just assumed um, is the way that sure. I sort of I sort of read she, it. That, yeah. Oh, I thought she was 36, you know. And- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, she's like, she's knowingly kind of putting him in a tricky position where... She's doing this thing that she later can and does use to get him in trouble, yep. which is kind of I don't know. It's 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 dangerous territory for for comedy. It <laughs> but, is, but it also leads to one of my favorite jokes of the whole whole thing about um, having sex in an, in a very uncomfortable place. What the back of a Volkswagen? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I am with you. I actually had that in my list. I when I was going through my stuff, I was like, I don't know how best to phrase this. Uh, but it was talking about it's just dangerous territory like the the uh the whole especially the part where how she was saying how i think i can't remember if it was said the exact sentence of her saying she's older or it was more that she was going to wait till she was of age and then she'd release her book but then she still gave over the video footage of him specifically and then yeah. it's it, it's just a she tricky... didn't ask many questions about it she just kind of was like okay here's the video yeah she didn't ask what you're going to do with it it's a <laughs> Just, uh, just like you said, just dangerous, dangerous territory for comedy. Is, is yeah. a good. I don't know that the like, like Kevin Smith's whole thing is just kind of being out there and pushing the boundaries, and I understand that. And maybe, maybe he would look back and go, "No, that's what we wanted to do, and we achieved it." But I think now it'd be very hard for someone to do that in a movie that's meant to be like appealing to a, a wide audience. Mm. Which brings us into who would be the most offended. I don't know, I think probably just, I was, I was going to say women, but I'll just say people who respect women because there's a lot of, on top of the gratuitous nudity, there's also like the, these relationships that are somewhat shallow in, in the resolution of the conflict. It was basically like, we haven't, I don't think we've said his name throughout the whole podcast, but TS is um, this guy who has a really like troubling approach to his relationship and his perspective on dating and and like just a really immature viewpoint on on how relationships should work and um the the way that everything including like Brody's relationship with the Shannon Doherty character like the way that things just get wrapped up in a in a nice little package in one scene is kind of i think it's it's probably not Kevin Smith's best work as far as representing how these relationships work and people talk about like the politics of um uh, chasing Amy and how you look back at that and, and it would be a very different thing now if he was to write that movie now. But I think even more so in More Rats, it's, um, I guess, reflecting that younger Kevin Smith and maybe the less mature and experienced Kevin Smith with those portrayals. No, I think I, I'm with you in a lot of ways. And I when you were kind of saying, like, I, at first... When you, when you said that sense, like, you know, people who respect women, I definitely had these, these moments where I'm like, that is just uh, a part of what existed in the 90s. Like, I can see, like, there's a thing where 
if there wasn't a moment that happened later on in the film, this is this one example where I'm trying to find it in my list. So I remember the characters, but Ben Affleck's character, um, continues to do this kind of like, but Pat, uh, yeah. constantly. And then when he's being taken away in, uh, in cuffs, what is, what is the, what is her in universe name? I've totally forgotten. Renee. Renee. Yes. Thank you. That's what I was like struggling for this last like minute. Uh, Renee pats him on the bottom back. And I was like, it's weirdly gone full circle in a good way. Like, as opposed to this being like a thing that's like not exactly kept up to speed with not, you know, like how things were treated in the nineties, but it's nice to see this full circle where he's kind of mm. objectifying her. Cause he's a villain and it's bad. And then she gets this kind of last laugh. Like I'll see you later. Cause you're going to prison. But that being said, I kind of, what I find so interesting with Kevin Smith films is this is just me on a, on a like kind of personal level because he's continuing mm. to make films and they're still within that universe kind of model. Like the fact that only a few weeks ago, uh, Kevin Smith tweeted out saying how COVID-19 has given me plenty of time to be at home. And 25 years later, we're going to do a reboot of uh, more rats. Like, so we're going to do like the sequel to more rats, uh, yeah. more rats for a mole apocalypse or mole apocalypse. And, um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because in that tagline, he said, um, and happily ever after is easier to say than live. So I find it interesting to see if TS is, because TS is kind of crappy and he doesn't have a very good, uh, view on how, what his relationship should be to be like a healthy relationship. And it's just going to be, I kind of like suspend my view on if that was like, uh, writing for the nineties or bad writing, or just a really long story that's being told about how it isn't actually happily ever after. Mm. That's why I find yeah, it interesting. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's hard. That's why I, that's, but that's why I love Kevin Smith films is that he kind of, it's, it's commentary. Like so much of it is like a mixture of like satire and kind of commentary and being so self-aware that you're like, was that said, was something done ignorantly? Or was it done intentionally because it's, on the nose to make people talk about it. What do you think, Trev? Um, yeah, I think you're, you're right, Jono, with um, there are a lot of uh, women and people who, who respect women who would be most offended now. Going back in time, when you actually look at Kevin Smith in the mid-90s, he didn't actually have any real relationships at this time. He didn't meet his future wife until um, like Dogma was wrapping up. And so, therefore, you know, I think he he was about to start going out with Joey Lauren Adams after this, mm. and that's why he, he put her into the next film. But he hadn't really had that much of a, of a relationship at this time. It was sort of like uh, very small relationships. So, therefore, you can see that he writes more about the guys and his female characters are very shallow yep. in, this, in this sort of film. And you can tell, and... And the difference between this and Chasing Amy is miles apart. And it gets, yeah. his female relationships get better and better and better as, as they go to the point that I think uh, Miri from Zack and Miri is probably the most fleshed out female character that he's actually written so far. Um, either that or uh, what's her, I can't remember her name, uh, Becky from um, Clerks 2. Uh, very well written character. Mm. But you can see where he is in in his character journey at this stage, and yep. I think that's where it where it comes down to. Not not that I'm you know 
giving him a pass on this. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you, you write what you know, and at that point, he didn't really know. <laughs> so the character is a, a guy who's playing too many, too much video games for his girlfriend to be happy with him, and he's you know he's too immature to introduce you her to his mom and it's just like arrested development basically and i'm sure that that was probably something kevin smith had seen in his friends so it was being told from that perspective and you know they're still clearly in the wrong but then at the end it's kind of everything works out for them so did they really learn anything i don't know but as uh as joel kind of mentioned like maybe we get to see that retconned in uh whatever sequel comes up next <laughs> i do love how kevin smith just kind of like edits his previous films with with add-ons like it's just it's it's like a fascinating approach instead of having a film that kind of sits there and gets rebooted for exactly what it is jonah you've got to, you've got to see the jay and silent bob reboot i think that yeah, once I do. like seeing where his headspace wh- is for that <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know um, where to watch it but i'll find it <laughs> what, what what i find what i find really quite funny about about you saying that you know he's doing a, a reboot of Mallrats. This is the second reboot of Mallrats that he's tried doing. Um, well, first of all, he tried doing Clerks Three, which um, got canned. Then he tried doing Mallrats, the the sequel to Mallrats, and that got canned because Universal didn't want to touch it. Um, they because they were only going to do television, so they took it round to everywhere that they could. Uh, Netflix eventually said no. All the other places said no. Hulu said no. Mm. So they decided to go go against that. But he took those some of those elements that he put into those two films and brought that into Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And now he's doing another Clerks three and and Twilight of the Mallrats, which is yeah. the the Mallrats sequel. And he's written both um, the Clerks sequel and the um and the Mallrats sequel and just finished the first draft in the last week or so. Um, mm. so it'll be interesting to see whether Universal will actually do want to go ahead and make this. Um, I believe he would have had to have some sort of conversation, um, with them. But from what I hear, he's got, um, Jason Lee on board and, and, um, all the other guys on board from when they were on board in Mallrats mm. quite a while ago. Yeah. It's, it's going to be hard because like the longer it's been since the movie the harder it is to imagine all the characters still being in the same space (laughs) like i don't know if if something happened to you when you were 20 that was worth making a movie about and then 20 years later do you think all the people from that time in your life would still be around i don't know but um, it's hollywood so i'm sure they'll find a way to make it kevin smith has uh, like this amazing ability to convince people to come back to films like that's that's what i've learned I don't know how he does yep. it, but I guess people just like him. Mm. Does more rats pass the internet relevancy test? It does now. <laughs> yeah, and I will say that after Captain Marvel, uh, because uh, yeah, because of uh, they they put more rats. Uh, well, at least the screenplay into into the Marvel universe with um, uh, Stanley's last ever. Um, cameo that he filmed i thought that that was a really good way of getting it back into um back into relevancy but i don't think it was as relevant before that happened yeah i mean there's probably a few like uh brody quotes and things like that that have stood the test of time amongst the fans and whether it's gifs or memes or whatever it is but it's definitely not 
on the on par with probably like Jane Jane Bob Strike Back or um, no. even like Clerks Two. I think would probably be much more widely found than than this one. I, I see it almost like oh, I say almost just heavy caveat on almost uh, like a historical <laughs> record of malls. Like I would love to show this to yeah. people years from now and just be like, there is. There are a lot of moments that are unrealistic, but this actually weirdly does <laughs> hit the mark at these specific points. Let me show you them. Because, like, yep. malls are dying out. Like, it's it's especially with, you know, COVID-19 and everything, and obviously, like, everyone ordering from home, it's this huge uh, boost beyond where they were already at when they were starting to die out. And it's, yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to watch mm, this yeah, I think now. It it made um like Stranger Things season three really interesting because so much of it was set in like an eighties America mall where I guess malls were kind of like in their heyday in the eighties. Mm. Um, so it would be a very different kind of of movie to to make a movie in a mall now, wouldn't it? So let's jump ahead to a uh, question: Could you make this in two thousand twenty? What would a 2020 version of Mallrats be? You know, a 2020 I mean, they, version. They are going to make one of these movies, but uh, what, what do you? How do you think it's going to work? <laughs> I hey, do you have um, Trev? Do you have an answer to this? I still don't have an answer. I've been thinking about this question yeah. for a while. I've been, but... I've been thinking about this all day. <laughs> um, I think you could make it in 2020, but it would have to be a a bit different. Uh, obviously, you couldn't have Stan Lee in it because. He obviously is no longer with us. You'd have to find some other sort of person that you could recognise. Um, maybe you maybe you go along the along the lines of um, maybe JJ the JJ Abrams, the, <laughs> J. J. Abrams. Or, or maybe you go yeah. along the lines of of like one of the uh, one of the creators of of like a CW um, Flash or or something like that. You'd have to go a little bit different to just um, just a comic book creator, you know, some sort of some sort of um, high, higher uh, level of nerd nowadays. Given that sure. there's so many superhero films, you wouldn't necessarily go to a comic book. You'd have to go to to one of the one of the TV series or or um, some sort of movie director um, who's re- reasonably recognizable. It could be like Kevin Feige or someone. Yeah, yeah, like that that'd probably work. I think the mall setting would be an interesting thing because you'd almost have to tell a story about like the way that they are dying out, and maybe like the place that they hang out is at risk of of disappearing. If the, if it's the same characters and they're twenty years older, then it's going to be a very different story in and of itself. But if um, you know. <laughs> That, that's more talking about a sequel, but I think if you were going to make a movie about young people hanging out, maybe it's not in a mall. Maybe it has to be somewhere else. I almost feel like uh, the same premise of like Empire Records, where it was like, save this mm. independent you know, music store, like save the Empire. Um, I kind of feel like if you were making it now, it would be about saving a mall. <laughs> and, yeah. and having to like remind <laughs> everyone why malls are great, but then also... You know, having to save it from something. All right. I'm convinced. Um, <laughs> how would smartphones and social media change more rats? We wouldn't have the VHS tapes, obviously. Ah, that's true. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think I think that's really it. I think most of the things that they do we, uh, are just 
showing up to the, they seem to just miraculously show up when i was thinking about this question they just seem to be at home when someone needs them or they're where they need to be or they just bump into them when they're looking for them and like it almost feels like they had yeah. mobiles because they're they're interacting at <laughs> just seamlessly like yeah well what i find what i find funny is when they finally get to the mall everyone is at the at the mall from then on um like Brandy turns up at they the mall leave. and, yeah. you know, Renee turns up at the wall. <laughs> Brody and T.S. are all at the mall. Jane Solobob just happened to be at the mall. Um, you know, all these characters helped make it work because they were all in the place, as you said, that they, they needed to be. But that place also happened to be the mall, which is, um, I think, why it works in this film, but it probably wouldn't work in... in um, with smartphones and social media because you don't need to be at the mall to to hang out with people nowadays um you can you can connect very easily on social media um so you probably wouldn't be wouldn't be out at this at this social setting as much anymore yeah definitely especially not as like adults yeah yeah, and and (laughs) especially because what you said before jono is is about Stan Lee um, would have been hyped up over social media. Mm. So um, it would have already been known that this, this person was going to be there. So that part of the film would um, would have been expected and therefore may have not wanted to go there for the day or would have got there a lot earlier. And this whole other part of the day would have, would have not have happened. Can you imagine how big the line would be now if Stan Lee turned up yeah. at a shopping center? It would be the whole <laughs> like, shopping center. It would, it would just be yeah. like that. You wouldn't be able to go to anything else. Like, wow! It was like the it was the sideshow to this um, game show that they were filming there. Like, who cares about the game show? Like, Stan Lee's here. <laughs> have Have you actually seen what happens when uh, someone like a Hamish and Andy turn up at Chadston, where mm-hmm. the lines are all the way through the goddamn shopping center? Now that's a local talent. You put someone yeah, global, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like people will be coming from ne- the next state over, sort of thing to to see. Him. Yeah, for sure. All right, I don't have any useless trivia for this one. Do you have any off the top of your head, Trevor? <laughs> I've got I've add? got plenty of useless trivia. Um, give give us the number one trivia factoid. Okay, so uh, Renee Humphrey, who yes. plays Trish, uh, the young fifteen-year-old. She got married to um, one of the other characters from Clerks 2, who was Trevor. Uh, So, in in reality, Renee Humphrey and... Oh, Elias, sorry. Elias in Clerks 2 actually got married. There you go. So, that's, that's, you know, a (laughs) pretty cool little bit of trivia. Yeah, I'll pay that. Yeah, other than that, you know, there's obviously lots lots of other sequels that have been talked about and... Didn't end up happening. Yeah, just with every, like with every Kevin Smith movie, it feels like sometimes. Um, <laughs> I've got I've got a, a weird, cool story that I just wanted to throw out there about Kevin All Smith. Right. It's one of those those missed opportunities in life. But um, I used to be on a podcast called Ono Story Time, which was a like a gaming talk about video game podcast like four or five years ago, and I used to just email people all the time. Like I used to just email people and be like, "Hey, you want to?" come be you want to be interviewed like you're in sydney like you know do you want to have an interview and i used to email people all the time just because i was like it's quick to send an email just you know be nice and see what happens and i emailed kevin smith when he was coming to sydney 
And I got a response from his PR rep being like, oh, this sounds great. Like, Kevin would love to, you know, could you come down to this <laughs> location? Like, he's going to do a couple of different interviews. That'd be great. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, they haven't checked <laughs> stats or they haven't asked me any questions. They were just, they were just like, down for it. And yeah, and anyway, my point is it was very sad because that was when he he had different dates, like dates changed and there were a bunch of complications and we didn't get it to happen. But they, it wasn't due to him not wanting to do it as much as it didn't pan out. And I still think about that all the time, that I would have just been like, hey, Kevin Smith, what's up? Like, let's let's just do an interview because apparently you did not check your quality of control very well. So here I am. <laughs> That would have been like the greatest swindle of all time. <laughs> yeah, it's still, uh, yeah, Kevin Smith's great. Man, I, I feel like that sometimes with my podcast, like I, I, I'm with you, like you just shoot out the emails and see what, what uh, comes yeah. back to you. But uh, yeah, sometimes but you, you can trick people into interviews. <laughs> you actually have a really good podcast. Like that's the difference. <laughs> uh, thank you. Former, former guest, Joel Rennie. Yes, that's true previous guest um we're we're up to the steve buscemi spark plug award steve buscemi a real spark plug there's a lot of little parts in this movie that could be nominated i've got two key ones and um, you're welcome to nominate anyone of your own but for me it was ethan supley and stan lee it's between those two guys for you know who, who really shows up and and kind of steals the um scene when they're on uh on screen and i don't know it's a tough one between those two because stanley obviously has as we called it the most iconic scene but ethan's scenes kind of spread throughout the movie i think that they're always the along with jay and silent bob they're like the funniest parts to me yeah i i'd I'd say that the stanley definitely definitely lives up the the will and black ethan supley parts uh michael rooker does an amazing job as as the bad guy. I think he steals any scene that he's in. Um, yeah, you know him trying to trying to stamp out the the um, the misshaped rug on <laughs> and putting his foot right through the stage. Um, you know is is a classic moment for me. The chocolate covered pretzel. Yep. Um, <laughs> and Lafors. Yeah, he's a silent character all the way through, but he. He feels like a bigger character in in the film than what than what you actually uh, when you watch it back you go oh yeah he was just this small little character and he pops up every now and again and he's sort of like the the silent antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, that I I'm so fascinated at the fact that he's silent because with Silent Bob and Kevin Smith and being the writer and his story <laughs> and everything I'm like is this like the you know Silent Bob like nemesis or like the counter to I don't know <laughs> there has yep. to be something there. But I'm with you. There's all everything that you both, you, what you both said. I, I would throw now that you told me the context of Jason Mewes, like the fact that the studio were so ready to replace him. I would almost put him up there because all of his scenes are just so on brand to mm. like, yeah, especially these the, the idea of these execs kind of watching off camera, just being like, like you know, eagle eyed, kind of paying attention to see when he screws up, and he just does yeah. what he does and you're like yeah cool even better yeah yeah there's, there's a lot of worthy contenders i think jason muse is probably in the movie too much to be like the spark plug and at least the extended cut that i watched 
Michael Rooker isn't in a lot more than he probably was in the version yeah, he, he watched. <laughs> he definitely wasn't in it as much in the theatrical. Um, he yeah. only turns up when when they need him to, whereas right. he does have a massive part in the extended edition where obviously he is he is dealing with the whole um, assassination attempt and all this all this sort of stuff. He's got news crews always asking him yeah. stuff. Whereas in the theatrical version it's it's literally um, the <laughs> the naked exercising that he does during mm. the during the first conversation and then he turns up at the mall and has some iconic scenes of him with the chocolate covered pretzel and and being a real dick. Uh, mm. So I don't know. That's why yeah. that's why I put him forward for it. But I'm going to give it to Stan Lee because how can you yep. say no? Yeah. To, yep. How can you say no? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> he deserves it. He, yeah. He's he's won a lot of prizes in his life, I'm sure, but he's got one more here. The Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award. Congratulations <laughs> to you, Stan. Rest in peace. Woo! Last question. Is Mallrats still a good movie? Um, I'll go first. F*** yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I, I love this rewatch today. The theatrical version definitely holds up a lot better than what the extended one does. Yeah. I found myself loving every second of it, whereas the extended extended edition, I'm like waiting half an hour to actually get into the fucking film. <laughs> And and the jokes feel much tighter in the um in the theatrical version. So yes, it yeah. it definitely holds up. I can definitely see that because that was my feeling last night watching the extended version when I didn't realise it was the extended version. I was thinking <laughs> this movie is so slow, uh the pacing is all off, it's okay at best, bordering on bad. <laughs> But I'm going to have to abstain from commenting on is it still a good movie just because I didn't watch the movie. <laughs> I watched a different movie. Uh, I, I think I when you said um, the the assassination of the, of the mayor or whatever, I swear... The governor, yeah. Yeah, I think I've seen the extended edition once before. Like, as you said that, I have this, like, flashback and I'm like, hmm. But the theatrical release, which is one that I watched again, I'm like... Yeah, I loved every minute of it. Like, it definitely, it felt like a very well put together film. Uh, I didn't expect it to hold up nearly as much as it did. To be honest, I like you know when you when you you're like this will be great, and then you're like, but what if it's not? Like, it has been a while, and I was like, no, this is still, yeah. So yes, uh, yes, uh, there's two two yeses, I believe. (laughs) I I think when I realized I was in for a good ride again was after after Brody talks about his um his cousin Walt buying um buying a cat from the mall and then you know getting taken to the hospital with a with a cat up his ass and then you know going through this whole story a couple of times and and buying a third cat and he goes well how else am I supposed to get the gerbil out um <laughs> and then hearing hearing the the line at the first couple of notes of the um of the theme song I'm like I remember almost every single line of this film, and I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're out there and thinking about watching more Rats again, make sure it's the theatrical one and not the extended cut. That's all I have to say. Um, Unless you're a big you. fan, then you need to have watched the extended edition at yeah. least once. <laughs> thanks uh, to Joel. Thanks to Trevor for joining me. Uh, where can people catch you on the social medias? Okay, so you can catch me on the Bitstorm podcast. It's a comedy game design podcast by two guys who know nothing about comedy nor game design. Uh, so find us at 
at BitStormCast on Twitter or search on Podchaser for BitStorm. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Trev H. Scott. That's it. And Joel. Uh, so you can find me, my name is Joel, and you can find me on Twitter at at Lontre, so it's L-O-N-T-R-A-Y. And all the things that I do in my life, I kind of put them into my description there so you can find them. But I'm on a D&D podcast called I Speak Giant, uh, which is very silly and I still don't know how to play D&D uh, <laughs> and no matter how hard I try I genuinely I just it does not stay in my head but everyone else knows what they're doing and it means that I don't really have to so it's pretty fun that's good <laughs> that's the way to go that's yeah that's pretty much me with Han rolled first I'm just like uh, which dice two dice okay sure whatever yeah um, but it's all it's all good fun and you can catch me on the social medias at Jono himself uh, of course, the reviews and ratings go a long way to helping out the show. So you can do that on Apple and Podchaser. And uh, of course, the 8-bit Patreon is where you can support content creators such as ourselves. Uh, we all are in one way or another connected to the 8-bit collective group of podcasters making the internet a better place. And uh, well, listeners, thank you again for joining us on Comedy Rewind. And until next episode... Be kind. <laughs>